0: I just don't want it to be over. I would love to just go on ahead and let's sing all the songs about the blood of Christ. I mean, you know, because it does speak a better word. I mean, there's a lot of words being spoken right now, you know. You're on social media and stuff. I mean, uh, you know, or the news or whatever, are just people. I mean, a lot of words are being spoken. They're not very good words. <laughs> it's just not very good words. I mean, that that comes straight out of Scripture that His blood speaks a better word. It's a better word than the word of the law. It's a better word than... Uh, it's, it's the best word. It's the best word is that, that, that Jesus died for our sins. And, and he shed his blood so we could be covered, so we could be forgiven, so we could have eternity with God. I mean, it, to some degree, you could look at that and go, what else matters? I mean, at least we could ratchet it down a few notches on how much we think all the other words matter uh, compared to that. All right. Well, we're nearing the end of the book of James. And uh, our series that we've called Put Up or Shut Up Which I took some flack for that By the way It's a little little extreme for some folks None of you of course Uh, But you know I mean really that's just A lot of the attitude of James I mean he really gets in our face And we need it Um, He's had some very challenging things To say to us We've seen that the Christian life Is one of sacrifice And uh, of humility Of selflessness And it's a life that works out faith. In so many ways, James says, if there is no changed life, then there must have been no salvation in the first place. However, as we'll see in today's text, James is also aware that the Christian life is a journey. It's a journey. It requires a considerable amount of patience. Let's pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 5. And, and for the detail watchers, <laughs> Paula, uh, maybe a couple others. I'm just teasing you, Paula. Uh, we, need, we need those people. She's our treasurer. We need her to be a detailed person, right? Uh, and, and others that might have noticed, uh, you might think, well, we didn't cover verses 1 through 5. Well, we did cover it earlier, just not last week. We covered it earlier in the series. Uh, so it has been covered. So we're going to pick it up in verse, uh, the first six verses. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. Um, and, and still to this point, we've covered all the, every single verse of the book of James. So chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient. We could just stop right there, couldn't we? Okay, that's, we can all go home. We just, that's all you need to do. That's it. That's what we need today. That's the message we need today. Anybody else need that message today? Boy, do I. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the, for, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we considered blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. These words come near the end of his letter, but they hearken back to the beginning. Or if you'll recall with me, James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And what a way for a pastor to open a letter to his church. And these folks have already been through a lot, if you recall. How would you like it if right now, even after everything that has been going on, I wrote a letter to you in the opening paragraph when something like this, you think it's been bad so far? Get ready for worse. And by the way, as you endure these things, I expect you to be very happy about it. Rejoice. Be glad. Because in the end, when the trial is over, those of you who survive are going to be more mature. And, and, and that will make it all worthwhile. Well, I didn't write that letter, but I did preach these opening verses from James right before the pandemic started. I'm not claiming to know the future because I most certainly do not. But I do think it's interesting that God had us at the beginning of James when this crazy season of uh, various kinds of trials hit. In his opening paragraph, James says, Times have been tough and are about to get tougher. But God is going to use it in your life for good. James actually weaves this theme throughout the body of his letter. And here we are now near the end where he seems to kind of realize that maybe he should say a little bit more about the reason for our hope in times of trial. That is the fact that Jesus is coming. James knows that the hardest thing about trials and difficulties is that we don't know when they will end. So he has some things to say about the need for patience. I'll tell you that personally, God has been pounding me over the head with teachings about patience. Every podcast I listen to, every article I read, every book I crack open, every Bible verse that jumps off the page, not to mention what has been going on in my life, is coming at me like a dose of medicine from God intended to cure me of impatience. I've basically been given an ongoing epiphany of late, a revelation that I am an extremely impatient person. I need to grow a whole lot in this area. I have a feeling that I'm not alone. And I'm never alone, am I? Why? Because I have a church family full of flawed people just like me. And that's you, right? Yes. Whatever happens, we're in this thing together. Amen? Amen. Okay. So let's look back at our text for today from chapter 5 and notice all of the patience words, which I've underlined in your listening guide. Check that out. It's all about patience and waiting patiently. And then also notice the three references to the imminent return of Christ printed in bold. The thesis of this passage is simply that we should be patient while we wait for Jesus, however long it takes. I would add that while ultimately this is about the monumental second coming of Christ, when all things will be made new, I think through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this has also meant something along the way, over these almost 2,000 years since it was written. It's not as though this didn't mean something to the original audience just because the second coming didn't happen in their lifetime. Beyond the second coming, I think we can take this to mean that when we are patient through tough times, we can experience the coming of Jesus into the midst of our problems, that we can wait hopefully for Jesus to come soon to help us in a more spiritual way when life gets tough. In other words, not only can we look forward to the end times return of Christ, but we can also think of him as coming soon just when we need him. To insert himself into our current situation, bringing relief with his presence. But only after our patience has had time to bear fruit. Either way, our hope is the coming of Jesus. But also, either way, patience will be required. Now, in the midst of this teaching on patience and waiting for Jesus... James gives us three examples to follow. He points to the patience of farmers, the patience of the prophets, and the patience of a man named Job. Let's see what we can learn from each of these. Three examples of patience. First of all, James points to the patience of farmers. He writes, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop And how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near now before I go on and talk about the uh, example of farmers let me point out that I think Jesus is actually talking about God here God is the farmer in this verse God is the one waiting for the land to yield its valuable crop he's waiting for a harvest of souls a crop of spiritual fruit. He waits for the autumn rains, which I would say perhaps came a long time ago in the development of the early church. And now he waits for the spring rains, which could possibly allude to a latter-day revival, something many Bible scholars believe is promised in places like this. A better translation here might actually be the early rains and the late rains. That's the way the New American Standard translation puts it. And we don't know for sure if Jesus meant more than face value here, but we do know that God has been waiting to send Jesus for a reason. I believe that reason could be a harvest of souls, a revival that will come as a result of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As the Apostle Peter put it, God is not slow concerning his promise to return, but is patient toward people, not wishing for any of them to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So, take note that God is the farmer in James' example of patience here, and that He is waiting for a harvest before He comes. Having said that, farmers in general are usually patient people. They have to be. If they are not patient when they begin farming, they become patient by farming. <laughs> My mama told me I ought to be a farmer. <laughs> Trivia pause. If you can tell me the name of the actor who said that in the movie it's from, you will receive this vine-ripened fresh tomato from my garden. <laughs> my mama told me I ought to be a farmer. Horse gun. Wrong. You sounded like horse. Yeah, gun. you did. You, you get seven <laughs> lashes afterwards. <I> <laughs> Come on now. Okay, hint. The actor died this last week. Another hit. Used to do oatmeal commercials. What? Okay, but you're already, you're already, you're completely. Did you say it, Randy? Somebody said it. Okay, but I'd still need the movie. My mama told me I ought to be a farmer. The oatmeal movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Who are you people? It's a sports movie. It's the best baseball movie that's ever been done. Okay, but we had different people give... Okay, I'm just going to give it to Randy. He got the... At least he got the actor. And I do like tomatoes. All right, good deal. Wilfred Brimley in The Natural. He's a, he's a manager and he always says, My mama told me I ought to be a farmer. Just love it. So, I love that line because... I sometimes wish I had been a farmer, I really do. I've been acquainted with quite a few farmers over the years and in my experience, a common trait among them tends to be patience. Farmers are simply forced to learn patience year after year. Farmers also tend to be the kind of people who stand firm as our text says. I don't know if farming made them that way or if one needs to be that way before deciding to farm, but it's true, farmers typically are patient, steadfast people. But here's the deal. Most people today are not farmers. And most people today are not patient either. Let's be honest. Patience is mostly a lost art. The society we're all a part of and the lifestyle most of us live would almost seem to be designed to eradicate patience from the human existence or the human experience. We want what we want to happen and we want it to happen now. And what do we become when we don't get what we want when we want it? We become people like those who the Bible says uh, will be prevalent in the last days. Complainers and backbiners, biters, overbearing, gossips, power players and manipulators. Some people are just hard to deal with these days. And some days those people are me. Why? Mostly because of a lack of Patience. But now that I have you thinking about the rough edges of the folks or of yourself, consider what patience does for all these problems. Think about it from both directions. If people had more patience, they wouldn't be so difficult. And if you had more patience with people, it wouldn't be such a big deal when they are difficult. The fact is that patience takes care of a lot of personality problems. Those of us who have such problems need us some patience maybe that's why I tend to like farmers I do can I just be honest with you about one of my uh, little fantasies I dream of spending my quote retirement years as a small church pastor in a rural farming community and just preaching and taking care of of one of those little old churches out in the country that just sounds so awesome to me for whatever reason it seems like farmers tend to be good people I wonder how much of it is because they're almost always patient. I think it was Rick Warren who said that uh, when it comes to a church you can either grow an oak tree or a mushroom. You guys even know what oak trees are up here in the land of evergreens? Okay, most of Missouri where I'm from is covered with oak trees. Probably eight out of ten trees you see in Missouri are oaks and you're loath to cut one down because they don't come, uh, they don't, they don't, they don't come back in 25 years like your trees up here it takes more like a hundred years for an oak to mature in contrast one of the fastest growing living things is the mushroom even very large mushrooms can pop up overnight but when one does all you've got is a potentially poisonous fungus an oak tree takes a very long time to grow but when it's done you have one of the most um, majestic and useful things in creation and you have something that multiplies itself automatically I'm sure you get the idea. Mushrooms require no patience. Oak trees require an enormous amount of patience. Metaphorically speaking, which one would you rather have for a church? Would you rather have a fungus or a tree? (laughs) And the same principle applies to life in general, not just church. The farmer waits patiently for his valuable crop. Says James. Interestingly, we can often weigh the value of something by the amount of patience required to bring it to fruition. That is to say, in life, the amount of patience required is often proportional to the benefit received. Is that on the screen behind me, or do I need to say it again? Okay. Some of, some of you might want to write that down. I love to grow uh, a vegetable garden every year. Do You know what you can grow really, really fast? Nothing. Okay, maybe some weeds. But honestly, some of the fastest vegetables you can grow are radishes. Turnips are pretty fast as well. Now radishes and turnips are fine. And some people love them. But let's face it, they don't compare to a red ripe tomato or sweet corn or fresh Cucumbers, turnips, and radishes honestly taste a little bit like dirt. I'm just saying. It. It's almost like they didn't cook long enough. The amount of patience required is often proportional to the benefit received. Newsflash fast diets don't work. Get rich quick schemes almost always backfire. Learning to play a musical instrument takes years of work and countless hours of practice. Guess what? It takes more than a few months to change your marriage. You will not become a Christ like person overnight. Patience is required for anything great to come to fruition. How much patience will you need? Well, what kind of results are you prepared to settle for? In your health, in your wealth in your marriage, with your children, in your church, in your spiritual life. The amount of patience required is often proportional to the benefit received. What other reason does James give us to be patient besides the fact that a greater benefit is received when we are patient? He also tells us that the return of the Lord is near. Now someone will point out that James said this over 2,000 or right about 2,000 years ago and still no return. But that's the crazy thing. If the return of Christ was thought to be near 2,000 years ago, how near is it now? And, of course, James didn't know a date or time of the Lord's return. He just knew that Jesus wanted his followers to operate as if he could come back at any moment. And he also knew operating like that would help them with patience. The book of Romans tells us, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. James says, You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord is coming, Lord's coming is near. As a farmer is patient because his crop is sure to come, so we're to be patient because the Lord is sure to come. And when he does, everything good will be brought to fruition instantly. More good than you ever dreamed of will be fulfilled in the coming of Christ in an instant. In case you forgot, Jesus is bringing heaven with him for those who are his. And as 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two tells us, we shall all be changed. In the blink of an eye, in an instant, suddenly, no more patience will be required, possibly ever. Do your part, stand firm, and wait for Jesus. That's essentially what James is saying. The idea is to stop running around like chicken little, saying the sky is falling, and instead put down some roots and wait. I think of the old saying, bloom where you're planted. Settle in, establish yourself, and wait for the good things Jesus is bringing. There's a point in all godly behaviors and endeavors where all that's left for you to do just be patient. That's part of what James is saying. This is a message I've needed to hear, both for my life and for how I think of the timeline of this church plant that God called me to plant. Just be patient. Just wait for the good that is coming. That's what God has been saying. Kind of like growing Tomatoes. I can prepare the soil. I can buy the best tomato plants available. I can go overboard babying these little things. I can fertilize, cultivate, protect, ad infinitum. I can do everything that anybody could ever think of to try to produce great tomatoes. I can work myself to the bone every day. I might even get down on my knees and talk to these little plants, coaxing them along. You're so beautiful. Encouraging them to feel good about themselves so they can... (laughs) grow maybe sing to them, pray for them and water them with my own sweat but without waiting for what seems like an eternity I am still not going to have tomatoes and what happens if I pick them while they're still green let them ripen in the kitchen Well, they're not going to be nearly as good as if I had let them ripen on the vine, I might as well have bought them at the store because that's what they're going to taste like more patience equals better results. One of my favorite verses of scripture is Galatians 6, 9 which says, Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We can learn a lot from the patience of farmers. But James gives us a second example, the patience of prophets. Look back at verse 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James readers had no trouble making the link between grumbling against each other and the patience of the prophets. People had always grumbled against the prophets, those who spoke for God. In fact, people have always grumbled against any person who God chose to be a leader. Anyone leading or speaking for God is grumbled against. It's hard to imagine uh, the amount of grumbling that took place every time Jesus opened up his mouth and said the kinds of things that he would say. And then there would be disagreement about what Jesus had said or or what he had really meant. And before you knew it, people would be grumbling against each other over their opinions of leaders. Good thing that doesn't still happen today. James knows that as a result of this very letter, his church is probably tempted to grumble against him and to wind up grumbling against each other. What is the suggested solution? Patience. But let's think about the patience of prophets that James mentions here. What can we learn from their example? Well, two things. First of all, the prophets were patient in persecution. When James mentions the patience of farmers, he's pointing to a general kind of patience. that need to wait for good things to develop But when he mentions the patience of prophets, he's wanting us to think about patient endurance through persecution. As we've learned, James mostly reteaches the words of Christ. What about the words we're looking at today? From the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5.10, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say, All kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Most of the prophets were not treated well by the people that they were called to lead. Jeremiah was arrested as a traitor, thrown into the bottom of a well, left to die. God took care of him, but at one point, Jeremiah thought he was done for. Elijah wound up thinking he was the only follower of God left on earth. And he expected to die in the wilderness, but God provided. Daniel was thrown into a pit of ravenous lions, and God sent an angel to protect him. Virtually every single prophet of God endured hardship at the hands of the people. And even when they were respected, prophets were anything but popular. They were often hated by kings and commoners alike. They were surely a persecuted bunch. See, while farmers work hard and are generally quiet, prophets by definition speak truth. I don't know if you've noticed, but speaking the truth is almost never popular. And like the prophets, we followers of Christ are called to speak the truth. About the right things, I might add. Not just whatever your opinion is. But doing that almost always brings persecution. I think about our youth. Our youth i have got some new shirts coming in. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was like, James is like, do you want one? I'm like... I had to think for a second because the back of it says only Jesus saves in big huge letters. And our youth, I guess are going to traipse around in these things. They might they might face some persecution. I know when I had my sign out that said that at one point, I got cussed out several times recently. So, interesting. When you speak the truth for Christ, you're going to face persecution, just like the prophets. grumbling and then what, what happens too is in, in our own people, up. well he we probably shouldn't have done it that way or gone that far, or whatever, we grumble against each other on top of it but there's a second point here regarding the patience of prophets, the patience of prophets was rewarded in many cases the prophet was rewarded in their lifetime for instance Daniel got to be the chief of the wise men of Persia eventually In other cases, the fruit of a prophet's labor came after he he died. Jeremiah saw no results in his lifetime. But after he died, the people responded. Regardless, Scripture is clear that in every case, every single case, the prophets' patience earned heavenly rewards. We just read from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets' Who were before you. Jesus is saying, just as the prophets are now being rewarded in heaven, so you will be rewarded if you will patiently endure persecution. Similarly, verse 9 of our text, James says, the judge is standing at the door. Again, this is a reference to the soon coming return of Christ. And don't forget, there's a positive side to what the judge will do. Part of what the judge will do is to hand out eternal rewards. To those who, like the prophets, have patiently endured suffering for his name. That's going to be his brand of justice at the end. People who have served him, people who have followed him, people who have faced persecution for his name will be rewarded, and that will be justice for the mistreatment that they received on this earth. James holds up the example of the prophets, he's saying that as we practice their patience, we can expect the same results heavenly reward, sometimes earthly rewards as well but in every case heavenly reward the point is that patience is always difficult but never fruitless never fruitless Habakkuk was another prophet who had to show a lot of patience during his day God didn't seem to be into miracles so much anymore it was a time when God seemed silent even to the godly even to this godly prophet it was a time of discipline for God's people A time when people are like, where are you? And in the midst of Habakkuk's life, marked by long periods of waiting for God, he prayed, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Man, I've been praying this prayer. This has been on my heart. I mean, it's like... I read the book of Acts, and I'm like, man, of course they were saved. There were miracles. Can we have some, please? God, just like Habakkuk. I know we shouldn't need them. God's done enough and all that. I've said all that before, but, man, we need the Spirit of God to move. I mean, enough with the strategizing. What's your evangelistic strategy? I just need God to do stuff like he did. How about Pray how about get our lives right okay now I'm just preaching a whole sub sermon I'm gonna get going times were tough with Habakkuk God seemed distant while Habakkuk waited as patiently as he could but also noticed that patience doesn't mean you don't ask patience means you stay faithful while you pray and wait for God's timing so we can learn from the patience of farmers and prophets And lastly, we can can learn from the patience of Job. From verse 11, As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Perseverance is simply patience through difficulty. Patience practiced in the midst of suffering. If you're familiar with the story of Job, you know that he was called upon to live out a very mature and painful kind of patience. Farmers are patient for a good harvest. Prophets are patient in persecution because of what they said and who they are. Job was patient in loss, and loss without explanation. Some of you know better than I that the pain of loss does not go away quickly. Patience is required. When we lose something precious, our patience is tested perhaps more than any other time in life. It's one thing to wait for good things to develop like a farmer or to endure difficult circumstances like a prophet, but it is quite another thing to have patience through unexplained loss like Job let's briefly recall the story Job has it all he's an American okay (laughs) Job has it all he's in perfect health he has numerous children grandchildren enormous wealth houses, lands vibrant personal relationship with God in fact God seems more pleased with Job perhaps than any other person before him Job's right up there with Noah in terms of people who pleased God by who they were and how they lived but in the book of Job We learn that Satan comes to God and calls Job's faith into question. He says that the only reason Job serves God is because he has everything he could ever want. And like it or not, God allows Satan to take Job's good life away in order to see if he will turn his back on God or stay faithful. You may think God has tested your faith before, but I doubt anyone here has experienced the extreme level of testing that Job experienced. Job loses his children. They all die. He loses all of his wealth. All of his houses and stuff are gone. Job loses his relationship with his wife. She goes into depression, tells him he ought to just curse God and die. Not much support there. He loses his health, becoming afflicted with terrible sores, crying out from constant, intense, burning pain. If that's not bad enough, everyone who knows him blames him for it all. All his friends begin to accuse him of hidden sin. And they tell him that his problem is himself, and they judge him and admonish him to confess his sin, as if he is the cause of the death of his own children and everything else that he's lost. But righteous Job can't think of any sin that he needs to confess. I tell you from experience that false accusation and this type of judgment hurts worse, than, well, than anything I've ever experienced. When it comes from your friends, it hurts deeply. Think of the internal struggle Job must have gone through. Am I to blame? Am I to blame? Is is, is there sin? Is there ongoing, unconfessed, uh, unrepentant lifestyle sin that could mean that God is disciplining me in my life in in order to get me to change? And what if there isn't? How does he communicate this to his friends without coming across as arrogant? Job can't win. It's, it's, it's the Kobayashi Maru for Star Trek fans it, it, it's, it's, it's the no win scenario okay Satan is called the accuser of the brethren that's who he is he's the accuser he absolutely loves to put us in the position of the accused it's a horrible position to live in uh, it's horrible nothing takes more patience than enduring accusation because it usually doesn't pay to defend ourselves there's just nothing you can do so What do we do in these situations? We can only do one thing, we can be patient. The truth has a way of coming out, if we will wait for it. There's a story about a man named Bill, who found himself accused of being an alcoholic. Turns out one of the biggest gossips in the church, Mildred, had seen his truck left at the local bar all night long. In truth it was there for some other reason, but Mildred had gotten on the phones and dutifully spread the word Bill must be an alcoholic. She said to anyone who would listen, it isn't that hard to know what a man is up to when his truck is at the bar all night long. Bill, being a quiet and patient man, probably a farmer, decided not to respond to Mildred's accusation. Instead, he simply drove his truck over to Mildred's that evening, parked it in front of her house, walked home and left it there all (laughs) night long. On top of the loss he experienced, Job had to endure the false accusations of his closest friends. All he could really do was wait on the Lord for his defense. He had to be patient, and his patience paid off in the end. It's also important to notice that Job was unaware of the conversation between Satan and God. We have no idea what's going on. I mean, I'm not just talking about whatever, maybe there's a conspiracy or whatever. I I mean, we have no idea what's going on, particularly in the spiritual realm. No idea. Job didn't know either. All he knew was that he trusted God. And that what the Lord had given him, the Lord had every right to take away. Job actually said, even if God slays me, still I will trust in him. His faith in God was not based on his good circumstances, but in who God is and what God had promised. As he also said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, in the end, he will stand on the earth. That, by the way, is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I have it imprinted on one of my iPads. On the back. That's where our hope is. That's where our hope is. Job had the patience to wait for redemption, even if the only redemption he would receive were to come after death. Job remained faithful to God through it all, and now his story of patience continues to inspire millions. Even today, people use Job as a sort of standard. Have you not heard people talk about the patience of Job? He's certainly a great example to us all. I pray that you never experience the kind of loss that Job did, but you should be inspired by his story nonetheless, knowing that it is possible to have patience with God, even through the worst kinds of loss. It's possible. And we also know at the end of the story that Job was eventually restored by God and given more than he had in the first place. James put it this way, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I don't know what you may be dealing with today. Some of you are just waiting for something good to come to fruition like a farmer. Others may be experiencing persecution like the prophets in some way. Many of you have experienced or know that you're about to experience loss. How would the Bible instruct each of you to respond with patience? But what is the point of patience? What's the point? Being patient seems like doing nothing, doesn't it? Why wait? Why wait, says, everyone who's in a hurry to get to the next good thing and get the next good thing out of life. And the one who endures persecution at the hands of others says, why should I endure this? Why shouldn't I remove myself from the situation? Tone down my Christianity or do whatever it takes to avoid the pain. And the one who has experienced loss says, how does being patient make any of this any better? What is the point of patience? Patience. Look back at the very last sentence in our text today for the answer. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This passage about how we should be ends with a sentence about who God is. James is making a promise here, see. This statement about the Lord is not just randomly stuck here. It follows from the challenge to be patient like farmers and prophets and Job. And the promise or the point is that God is going to respond to your patience with compassion and mercy. But it's even deeper than that, really. Because the point is not so much in the compassion and mercy, but in the one who gives it. The point is that God will come Jesus will come into your life the spirit will come and bring his comfort and his peace you see when God comes in the special way that he does through your patience everything else will fade into the background let me put it this way the point of patience is found in experiencing God The point of patience is found in experiencing God. Now, maybe someone thinks experiencing God isn't worth being patient. Well, if you think that, you may never know what you missed. But I'm talking to those who know better right now. I'm talking to Christ followers. And you know, that what, hap- know what happens when you're not patient enough for God to act. Don't you? You know what, what you get when you don't have patience with God? What you get is independence. Usually along with a big stinking mess. Listen, when you don't wait for God, you essentially live without it. Are you following me? The point of patience is found in experiencing God. Conversely, when you don't wait for God, when you are not patient, you essentially serve as your own God. And you live without experiencing the one true God who is worth more than patience to experience whether it's waiting for something to come to fruition like a farmer or enduring persecution without bailing like a prophet or making it through the pain of loss without turning your heart away from God like Job patience is really the difference between living with God and living without him yes patience is the difference waiting on the Lord is the difference The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's a promise. It means that you'll get to experience His compassion and His mercy in a powerful way if you are patient. And by the way, this applies to any particular moment, any particular day, any particular season, and ultimately any particular life. Without patience, you simply will not walk with God, you'll leave Him behind. And continue in your illusion of control. When we are not patient, a cycle begins that's difficult to break. First, we try to take matters in our own hands. Which is always a mistake. Second, when, when that doesn't work, we become disappointed with God. for not, not providing a quick fix. And our relationship with Him is broken. Third, we go back to living life as if God didn't love us or have a plan for us. And that's no way for a Christian to live. The bottom line is that if you do not develop patience, you will wind up distant from God. Let's run through that again. Call it the cycle of impatience. One, we take control. Two, we become disappointed with God and ourselves. Three, we find ourselves on our own. One more time. We take control. We become disappointed with God and ourselves. And three, we find ourselves on our own. That's the cycle of impatience. Is it possible that patience is the very thing you've been missing? Is it possible that some of you today have become distant from God for lack of patience? The point of patience is that it brings you closer to God. I'm here to say that without patience you will not experience God, but also to tell you that with patience you will experience God. The point of patience is found in experiencing God. I personally needed this reminder in about a hundred ways. I could talk about this pandemic and what it has revealed about the state of our world. I could talk about our progress as a church or several other things. I need patience so that I can experience God. What about you? Where is your patience required right now? Think about it. I'll tell you that in that very place, in that very place, God wants to meet you. In that place where patience is required for you right now, God wants you to experience him. But again, patience will be required for that to happen. I'll close with a famous passage of Scripture, a couple verses, about what happens when we are patient enough to experience God. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is a promise from God to his children. And so, as long as you are one of his, patience may very well be all that you need let's pray for patience right now father this is a time when your people are being tested we're going through trials of all kinds it's hard to put our fingers on in some ways but we know we are we just know it. we know this is a season a difficult season. Some of us, it's more acute than others. We know exactly what it's cost us. Others of us are just like, why do I feel like this? Lord, it's, it's really, really hard to believe in my heart that it all comes down to patience. But it really does. And, and faith, the faith to believe that my patience will result in you bringing about your will. As we talked about last week, all of this from James, it's it's all congruent. You have a plan. We need to surrender to your sovereignty. We need to be patient with you. Not take matters into our own hands. Not run out ahead of you. But to wait on the Lord so that our strength can be renewed. I think we all know we need our strength to be renewed. We need to experience you. We know we need you. Could you help us learn how to actively live out patience, to pray, to believe that you're coming. You may be coming into this situation in a more temporal way. You may, we know that you're coming eventually in a way that takes care of everything, whichever it is, whatever the timing, that we can be patient. Lord, help us. Let us wait on the Lord. As a church, as individuals. We just, I just pray for patience today. And yes, we need to pray for patience. It's silly to say, don't pray for patience. We want what you want for us. Whatever that means. Teach us patience. It's a fruit of the spirit, God. Let it rise up within us. I have not been being patient. I confess that to you, Lord. I need your help. We need your help. Cry out to Jesus for help with patience today. Lord, for anyone that's in this room right now who just has basically just, this is all dry, this doesn't mean anything. Lord, it very well may may be that there's, very likely there's someone in here today that doesn't have your spirit living in them, which means they've never truly put their faith and their trust in Jesus because your word tells us that those who really believe, those who put their trust in Jesus receive your spirit. And so right now for that person that's in this room that, that knows they don't They don't have, you're not there. Maybe today's the day to lay it down, to surrender their life to Jesus. To lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, I surrender to to Jesus. I need him to save me from my sin. I need him to help me turn around and live differently in lots of ways. I need to be changed by God. I know it's only by the cross, what Jesus did on the cross. And I need you, save me doesn't have to be all those words. Just say yes to God and what he's saying in your heart right now. Turn to Christ. Respond to the life that he's giving you by giving him your life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he he died on the cross, that he rose again, and you'll be saved. Do that today. Let it be today so that he can help you through all the things that you're dealing with. Let us know The best way to let us know is to be baptized. That's the number one way. That's the way the Bible says to do it. That's the way that everybody in the Bible we ever read about who got saved went to the water right afterwards. So everybody could know it, so they could celebrate. So let me know. God, thank you for all the work that you're doing in our lives, Lord. This is not a one message, oh, boom, it's fixed thing. This is something, Lord, I pray. Even I'm the one that wrote the sermon, so it's easier for me. It's been on my mind. It's, you've been, I, this has been marinating in me for a couple of weeks at least. But others today, the first day, the first time they've heard this, so God, I'm praying for a supernatural work in the lives of the, the sheep of this church, to the people of this church, Lord, that, that, that something from today would stick, that it would help, and that ultimately because of what we're going through, And because of a newfound patience, we might experience you in a way that changes us forever because the church today needs to be changed if we're going to see revival. So we surrender it all to you, God. Thank you for your word. We know it doesn't return void, trusting you to work in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.